This is Acts 3, and we're going to take a dive into the importance of the miracle that's happening. As we know, Christianity is brand new, brand new, new Christians, baby Christians, just taken off. And we're knowing that we've learned so far in Acts that the Holy Spirit came with fire and wind to perpetuate this wildfire to, to spread the gospel, like just, just to take off all over the place, God's Spirit. But we also know there's an adversary out there called the devil that wants to just throw water on it and stop it and squelch it or to cause people to go and deceive them into believing something else. And there's a lot of that stuff that's gone on throughout history. Second Corinthians 11, Paul talks about um, in uh, about a 12b, he says, there's false teachers who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So there was a, there's a battle going on, a spiritual battle, and it's still happening today. Many things happen in the name of Jesus that are not really in the name of Jesus. So we have here the gospel spreading. Um, it's still located in Jerusalem, but something's going to happen to create the, without a shadow of a doubt, this is from God Almighty. This is the, this Jesus that we talked about last week is the one. So chapter 3 starts with Peter and John. Remember, Peter and John are good buddies, right? Fish and pals. Peter and John were the ones that ran to the, t- to the empty tomb first. Peter and John, they, uh, they're, they're palsy-wows. So they're going to the temple about the third hour, or the ninth hour, which is about 3 in the afternoon, Um, like all of them were doing. So it was a lot of traffic that time of day going into the temple, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So a lot of people going, going to this beautiful gate. It's probably a brass gate, very ornate. One of the things I read said it takes about 20 men to close this gate. Very heavy, very beautiful gates. And so this was a good place for beggars to come. Many beggars, hundreds of beggars. They didn't have social services back then. They really relied on just having their little cup or their basket and asking for things. So there were hundreds of beggars there in Jerusalem, um, especially outside the temple because people went into worship. They should come out with a good heart or whatever, and they should, you know, be free and giving and stuff. So... So this man that never walked, now get an image of this. Someone who has never used their legs before, they look pretty pathetic, don't they? And I had my knee surgery and had to be in one of those machines. My leg atrophied and it just, you know, you just can't get that muscle back. But somebody who has never used their legs, it's just no muscle tone at all. It would just be bone 
with flesh around it and probably all crippled up, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be, look at you guys are so sympathetic. You've got such sad faces on. <laughs> but you're getting, you're envisioning this, right? Okay. So he's laying there, um, hopeless that he'd ever walk again and any kind of means to eat was family or whatever and he just kind of would scrounge around for what he could get depending on other people. Verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John. Now, he's probably heard about Peter and John. There's been a lot of excitement going on in Jerusalem recently. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And today, beggars are pretty bold. You know, I've run across some that are in your face. I even have stories to tell, but I won't waste your time with that. But... They're pretty bold. But back then, I would assume that they were more of a humbled, you know, asking for something very, you know, so it wasn't really a lot of, he sees them coming and it's almost like a humbled posture. And Peter says to him, he directed his gaze. Look at, I want you to see the words being used here, seeing, gazing, fixed vision. Peter directed his gaze at him. It's almost like zero in on you, boom as did John, and said, look at us, almost like it down, look, look at us, look at us, lift up your chin and look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. There's a connection here. You get that? There's a connection. We're connecting. Christianity is a connection. Christianity is a relationship. It's not a belief system that we just believe the right thing. It is personal. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He was anticipating. He knew that they were going to give him something. So there's a little bit of faith happening here. What he was thinking he was going to get from them was not what he received, though. Um, Peter says to him in verse 6, I have no silver or gold. There's lots of good songs about that. I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. And then locked on with his gaze to this lame man, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, common man, this Jesus, this common Jesus, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, by virtue of Christ's character, because of who Christ is, his authority, his power, Peter had faith that God was going to, to restore this man's legs. Not Peter. Peter's faith is the connection there to God to help this. And God gave Peter the supernatural ability. God was the one who directed Peter's gaze. It wasn't Peter just thinking, oh, who should we go? You know, it was all orchestrated by God's spirit here. And the faith and the desire and the words that came out of Peter's mouth to rise up and walk. In the name of Christ, it means to do something, um, same thing that Jesus would do. If Jesus was here, what would he do? We act consistent to God's, to God's um, will. We're going to do things in the name of Jesus. We're going to do things according to what he would do if he were here doing it. Um, and what happens to this man? He, he, Peter picks him up, 
No, he doesn't pick him up. I want to make sure we didn't pick him up because this guy's being used to being carried around, right? Like a baby carried around. And Peter reaches out his hand to the man, took his right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, this is a visual thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not like this, oh, okay, we're crippled now. No, it was like he comes and he reaches up and immediately we have these strong legs. And I know they're strong legs because if we drop down into verse um, 16, it says that uh, uh, he's telling him that this man has perfect health. His legs were probably stronger than some of those men that were around there. Perfect. His knees weren't shot yet. (laughs) Right? He was strong. Just like that, it was a visual thing, and and the and the just and Doctor Luke is explaining here that the it almost like the strength flowed into this man, instantaneous healing. None of this. Oh, I feel. Yeah, you feel you're getting better. You feel you get. No, God healed instantaneously, miraculously. No question in anybody's mind that this was a miracle. And the man leaps up, he stands up, and he begins walking around. Wow, what does that feel like to have the ground on the bottom of your feet? And he's walking with them and leaping and, and just praising God, and he enters the temple with them, and all this commotion, and he's just so excited and exuberant, and he just can't keep his mouth quiet about it. There's such joy in this man. And the people... All the people saw him walking and praising God. All the people. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were what? They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. We talked about that, didn't we? Signs and awesomeness. And, you know, we're always going to have signs and wonder together. Signs and wonder because there's a sign And the wonderment of it is what someone feels like on the inside. And and then it's always going to go to a spiritual truth. Signs and wonders point to a spiritual truth. And so we have these people filled with wonder and amazement. And while he clung, while the man clung to Peter and John, which means he's hanging out with them, he's just so filled with joy, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them to the portico called Solomon's. So get that vision in your head. This man's jumping up and down and and dancing and leaping and checking out his legs and doing knee squats and, whoa, this is pretty cool. I can turn around and spin and I couldn't even imagine what that would be like if you've never used your legs and you're now able to do that. Causing all this commotion and all the people saw and all the people came and all the people gathered around and heard him praising God. No doubt a miracle had happened. No doubt. Very public testimony. It's God. I want you to follow this. God is the one who draws people together. God is the one who unifies people. Satan is the one who divides. Satan is the one who scatters. Satan is the one who separates. Satan is the one who isolates. We are meant to be people to have fellowship, to be together. That's harmony. That's togetherness. That's fellowship. So we have all these people together. 
The stage is set now. We had the sign, we had the wonder, and now we have the spiritual truth that's going to be revealed. The stage is set for Peter to preach. It's like the Holy Spirit is just on, just spilling out the fuel to fan the flames here to get the gospel to going, okay? This miracle, without a shadow of a doubt, is going to point to, Peter's going to tell him who it's going to point to, it's going to point to Christ. So the second part of our passage here, verses 12 to 18, Peter is going to start to point to Christ. He says to them in verse 12, and Peter saw all these people coming around. He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us as if we're the ones that had the power and authority to do that? Quit looking at us in wonder. Everything we do is not about us. It's about Jesus. We always point back to God. He's the one who gets the credit for things. Now, he says, could have been a perfect opportunity to have a testimony. Wow, get the man up, give him a microphone. Let's hear from you, lame man. Tell us what it's been like. Tell us what it's been like your whole life laying on the ground and everything and wallowing and having to beg and people looking the other way or too embarrassed to look at you or shaming you or whatever. Tell us from your perspective what it's been about. Perfect opportunity. Come on up. I'll give you the mic and you can have your testimony. Peter could even say too, yeah, this is so cool. Everyone's here. Look at, look at, now it's the time. Spotlight on. What does Peter do? He talks about Jesus talks about Jesus. That's being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the gospel being spread. It's about Jesus, okay? And the thing is, we're spreading the gospel. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. Everything that Peter's going to tell these people now, like he told them in the first sermon we read about last week, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, It's all about scripture, fulfilling the scripture. Look what he says. He says in 13, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. There it is. That's who Jesus is. Son of God. All those things pointing completely at you. We don't even know this man's name, the leper, do we? But look at all the names they gave for God here, right? Pretty cool. This God glorified his servant Jesus. Now here it comes. Here it comes. He's talking about Jesus, and he's going to point to them and said, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Remember, Pilate didn't, couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was going to let him go. And Pilate's wife's telling him, you better not, you better, you're going to get in trouble. I had a bad dream. You better let this guy go. And Pilate's like not knowing what to do. So he throws it back on the people and says, okay, I'll let one person be, you know, excused from whatever. And who did they ask for? It says here, when he decided to release them, but you denied the holy and righteous one. Again, holy and righteous, more names pointing to Christ. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Barabbas, remember? We don't. Don't release Jesus. Give us Barabbas. 
So he's reminding them of all this. And this happened not that long ago. We're within just a few weeks of the crucifixion that's happening here. You asked the murderer, the murderer, the one who kills life, the one who destroys life to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. There's a contrast there. You took a murderer, someone who destroyed life, and you wanted to set that person free, and you had Christ, the giver of life, the author of life, killed. But God, there's one of our but gods, who raised him from the dead. Nothing lives that doesn't come through Christ. He's the author of life. So these people are standing there after seeing this miracle, just getting pretty much a dose of reality of truth thrown at them. The author of life could not remain in the grave. So now what do we have with this fuel of the spreading of the gospel? We have the Holy Spirit start to do what? Convict of sin. That's got to be the second part. The first one is who is Jesus? Identifying him as the son of God, died for our sins, rose again. And the second part of that is that conviction of sin. We've got to have a need for a Savior. There's got to be a, whoa, uh, kind of a helpless man. I just am not a very good person there. So he's showing them all this stuff that's going on with them. So how was this man healed? What, What if it wasn't Peter? They're saying that this Jesus did it. Verse 16. His name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Because Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there telling this man to get up and walk. They knew that Jesus had done things like that. But we are, as the church, the body of Christ, here to continue the work of Christ and telling others about him. The apostles were witnesses of Christ's life and of death and resurrection, the apostles. And so they had to have a, a very strong backing evidence on who they are to, to be able to get this gospel spreading. And it was by faith in his name and faith in who Jesus is that has made this man strong that you now see standing here. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of, and you can cross out those two words, you all, and put y'all down there if you want to. The end of 16. In the presence of all y'all, you all saw it. And it was Jesus, it was him who did this in his name. And his name just doesn't identify him as a person. Yeah, that's who he is, this Jesus. But it expresses the very nature of that person. Peter believed without a shadow of a doubt that God was going to heal this man's legs. And he knew that because of some prompting of the spirit inside Peter that was directing his gaze and his steps and what to say and everything. Filled by the spirit? Yes, he was filled by the spirit. And he was acting on the spirit's behalf. And he was giving glory and credit to who it belonged to. Whenever Christians do good work in this world, it's always through faith in Christ. It's not us. We mess it up. We get in the way. I don't know how many times through my life I've said, oh, God, please don't let them hurt what a stupid thing I said. <laughs> Haven't you? Or, or just, oh, 
I just pray they didn't, you know, just, oh, just kind of use it to glory. Just, I don't know, God, but just, I just, <laughs> I shouldn't have opened my mouth. You all feel like that. Haven't you all been there with that? And then when it does go well, it's like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> you, yeah, you got us through that. That's the spirit of God. You have to give credit where it's belong. Good things don't happen because of our good intentions or our talents or our material resources or our hard work. None of that is a, uh, a formula for success. We can do all that stuff and still fall flat on our faces, okay? But if there's anything good that's going to happen out there, it's going to be because of God. There's no one good, no, not one, only God, okay? So we need to learn and be aware it's all about him, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as we yield to that, okay? As we as we recognize and we're thankful it's not like a humble oh woe is it's it's like yes thank you god i am so enamored and and sometimes i pinch myself and realize god thank you for using me all these 30 years to teach the word of god why me i didn't even know how to spell (sighs) or talk in front of people but 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 thank you, really. I've, I've thoroughly have been blessed by it. Um, so we have to give credit to where it goes. Verse 17, and now, brothers, it's interesting that he uses the word brother. He's convicting them all of sending Christ to, the, to death. And they didn't kill him. We know he gave up his life, but they were all for it, okay? But he's calling them brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, and as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus has fulfilled. They denied him. Back earlier, you denied him in front of Pilate. You denied the holy and righteous one. You denied him. Peter is able to call them brothers because why? Because he denied him too, didn't he? He was there not that much longer ago. He knows what it's like to do that. He's connecting with these people and saying, you know, basically, I denied him three times too. And those days until he came and just restored my soul back was just hell for me. So he's giving them a hope. And this is where our testimony and our witness comes from because we've been there. We've been stupid idiot people making stupid idiot things go on, right? We've been there. Some of us still have trouble leaving that behind. But all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And he's saying, now, you, you're in your ignorance, you did not know. Okay, let's talk about that. Sinning in ignorance is still sin. It's different than sinning outright full, I'm going to choose to sin, doing it with the full knowledge, Right? In the garden, um, in paradise, there were Adam and Eve, um, and they both sinned, right? But the snake, Satan, knew that he could get to Eve because she was the weaker one, and he deceived her. He didn't go to Adam because he couldn't deceive Adam. He deceived Eve. This tells us something. 
Later on in the, I don't think it's one of Peter's writings, I'm not sure, but later on it says that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. Both are sins. Both are sins. The psalmist talks about in 19, verses 12 to 13, keep me from outright sinning and forgive my hidden sins. Forgive me for the stuff that I don't even know I did wrong, if you really want to think about it. Because it's a holy God we're in a relationship with, and there's even small minor things that we do that we're not even aware of that is just really fall short of the glory of God. Um. So, but God's plan is not thwarted. God's plan will come about. He is sovereign. Um, It will be fulfilled. He will fulfill it. Verse 19. So we have, we have Christ, we have a miracle that points to Christ. Then we have the conviction of the sin and the third step we have there is 19 repent therefore because we can be convicted of something and we can just walk away and say "Eh, i don't care yeah i know it's wrong i'm gonna do it anyway i hear people say that all the time i don't care doesn't matter i'm only hurting myself doesn't matter and it breaks your heart because you know where that leads but if it's a conviction and if god has revealed the truth to him and opened up the eyes of their heart then their response is going to be repentance, okay? Repentance. God's sovereign. Whether you believe it or not, God's plan is still going to, still going to unfold. God can take a horrible situation and turn it into something good. He does it all the time, doesn't he? Joseph, we looked at the story of Joseph in Genesis 50. Poor Joseph, poor, poor Joseph. He ended up pretty good, though, sold into slavery and all that stuff that happened to him. And what does he say to his brothers at the end of Genesis? What you meant for evil, God turned to good. And then that wonderful verse in Romans 8.28, we know, we know that all things, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So he does it all the time where he takes things and he uses it for his glory. And the biggest thing that glorifies God is a repentant sinner. That's the biggest thing that he does. So the necessity of repentance, um, you you can know it all. You can know the truth. You can know scripture. Satan knows it. But if there's no repentance, it doesn't matter. What does repentance mean? Turn around, stop what you're doing. I like this one. Change your mind. Yo, change your mind. Change your mind. Quit thinking like that. Define yourself as someone who is holy and set apart for the service of God. Define yourself as a servant like Jesus was the servant, the, the, the holy servant, and God glorified him. Change your mind. The battle is up here, ladies. The renewing of our mind, taking every thought captive to God. Change your mind. It's not just about being sorry for it. Converted means to turn it 
around. Turn to God. Instead of flee away from God, flee to God. So it's a motive thing. But we know in psychology, it's the thought that hits the feeling. That's the behavior. It's got to be up here. It's not a feeling thing. Feelings are kind of get things confused. So change your mind. Repent. Convert. Turn to God. Decide that you're going to be holy. What are the benefits of this? Great benefits. Great benefits here. Turn. Repent, therefore, in verse 19, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. Your sins are blotted out. Times of reflection. So blotted out. We have a hard time with this blotted out stuff. We have a tendency to remember. And I I meant to bring my little chalkboard and I forgot. But if I had a chalkboard up here and I wrote sin on it, you can all see it with white chalk on a black chalkboard. It's pretty bright, right? And if I took a Kleenex or, or even my hand and wiped it off, You'd just see a black chalkboard, wouldn't you? There's no residue of what was there before. It's completely gone. You erase a chalkboard and it's completely gone. Or a whiteboard or whatever. It's, it's, it's gone. There's no telltale of whatever that word was or whatever was on that thing. It's completely gone. Turned back into dust doesn't spell the word sin anymore. It's just, it's, it's gone, blotted out. Forgiveness, the record of our sin is erased. He holds it no more. Now, does God forget? No, God doesn't forget. He can't forget. He's God. But does he hold it against us? No, no more. It's been washed away, the blood of Christ. Also, there's going to be times of refreshing now, you could look at this part a couple different ways. God will come again and refresh the earth and make everything right. But until that happens, um, there's such a sense of uh, refreshing, peace of mind, clear conscience. When we have sinned and we repent of that and know that he holds it against us no more, that is such a burden lifted. That's a leaping around like that lame man walking, isn't it? You got your strong legs on. We're going to go back out and we're going to continue to live for Jesus and do life. It's a, it's a, it's everything's new. Mercies are new every morning. It's not a heavy, guilt-ridden burden that we have. It's a refreshing and whenever we reflect on Christ, whenever we read his word and, and clear our, our hearts, of our, our, confess our sins and, and look to him and praise him and thank him, just that is such a refreshing thing to get into his word. God's design for his people is to repent. That's the end all, repent. And he gives us pretty much four, four encouragements to repent. God gives us four like prompters or little things to kind of lead us to repent. He pretty much spoon-feeds us with it. The first one is um, he gives us the knowledge of his revealed truth, and that's what Peter is doing here. He's telling the truth of of the Scripture. He's telling what happened. This is God's son. He came. You all killed him. 
But God rose, raised him from the dead. You know, it's, it's, it's truth. Revealed truth is the first thing, first prompter that's there. We have to know something. They don't know unless they know, have the word of God. The second thing is a sorrow for sin. Truly feeling sorry for our sins. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10. Paul says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. He's rejoicing that they're sad, basically. But because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, 9 to 10. So it's a godly grief that we have that that leads to repentance and leads to salvation. So he reveals his truth. He gives us a sorrow for sin. The third one is he lets us know of his goodness and kindness to motivate us to repentance. When we confess something, (laughs) I see this a lot. Well, with kids, if you hang around kids, if they can get away with it, they know they did something bad. But if they can get away with it, it's okay, right? Because if we tell, if we get found out, we're going to get into a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. God's not like that with us. We're not going to get in a lot of trouble when we come to him and say, we're sorry for this. I messed up, God. Help me with it. We're not going to get punished. There might be consequences to it that we're going to have to go through, but he's not going to punish us. On the flip side, he puts the screws on tighter until we do convict get convicted and repent though, right? So God's, the third thing is God's goodness and his kindness motivates people to repentance. And what a restoration and refreshing it is when we can be right in our fellowship with God again. And the fourth thing, we've got truth, we've got sorry for sin, we've got the, the, the knowledge, the, the, his goodness and kindness that pulls us to himself. The fourth one is the fear of judgment. If we don't repent... We're going to have to face a final judgment, and then it will be too late. So we'll wrap it up here in verses 22 to 26, because he's talking to this crowd, men of Israel, these Jewish people here, that up to this point, they believed through all the Old Testament writings that the prophet talked about and the Messiah were two different people. Prophet was somebody else, Messiah was something else. So they were kind of a little confused of what was going on in that day. But Peter is telling them they are one and the same. The Old Testament prophet that was talked about is the Messiah that's talked about. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with you, your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The prophet and the Messiah are one. 26, God, having raised up his servant, 
sent him to you first, nation of Israel, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's what it's about. And that was the whole message. Everything points to Jesus. So let me just have this little final thing on the Holy Spirit. Because we had a lots of questions. Not a lot of questions. We've had some inquisitive minds. And, and through the years, it's always kind of been a confusing thing. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Do we have to speak in tongues? Do we have to do healing, whatever? Let me... I believe that being filled with the Spirit means that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you made a public profession of faith for him. You got a new heart. That you have confessed all known sin in your life and you're striving to live a holy life. You are filled with spirit. You are ready for anyone to come to you and ask you for an answer for why you believe what you believe. And you're empowered by God's spirit that lives within you to be able to speak the truth. That is being filled with the Spirit. It compares to being, do not be drunk on wine, but but be filled with the Spirit. You know how easy it is to be drunk on wine? Not that much. When we're drunk on wine, our capabilities aren't here. Our mind is, is foggy. But when we have cleared our mind and we're filled with the Spirit, we've, we've, we've connected with God, we're thinking about God, we're living with God, that is filled with the Spirit. Nothing magical happening here. Nothing, I mean, you, your face might glow. I'm sure you're going to have a countenance about you that's joyful, right? But let's quit looking for something because you know what? When we start striving to get something like that, it's all about us then, isn't it? And it's not all about us. It's all about him and how he, we yield our spirit and our will to him and let him live, live through us. God is a refining fire, and he purifies. And he's purifying us and refining us, and he does that through what? His word, doesn't he? He washes us with his word, and that is being filled with the Spirit. Well, I ran across the little news article because um, we know Acts 2.17 told us in the last days, God says he will pour out his Spirit. He will pour out his spirit. Satan's acting up. Satan knows his time is short. We're seeing more horrific things out there than we've ever seen. It's always happened, but it's coming to light. It's becoming visible, and it's becoming acceptable. Let me say that, too. This is in my eye now up here. Um, But as he starts to get irritated, God's spirit is going to just have the victory, and, and the warfare is there. There's a little news article I saw, a guy who does um, evangelism on college campuses, which is very needed these days. Um, he had a, a tour, an evangelical tour, and his one that he had in August, over 2,000 young people committed their lives to Christ. Now, that's not too far away from 5,000, is there? So God is still active and alive. Now, and more than anything, there should be an urgency for us to really not goof around with our faith, be serious about it, and talk about Jesus, isn't it? 
God, help us to have a boldness. Help us not to look for anything magical, but just the simplicity of sitting at your feet and reading your word and being filled and have you washed over us with your word and with your love and in fellowship with others. We thank you for this Bible study. We just pray that, God, we can just go out into the community with your lights. May you be glorified. We love you, Jesus. Amen.